Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Submitted Souls. All right, well, you often hear people in our culture say that there's two subjects that you always want to avoid discussing. You guys know what those two subjects are, right? Religion and politics. Well, today in our passage, we are faced with both of those subjects. Today, we're gonna talk about God and government and how we need, as God's people, to have submitted souls to both. So the scriptures are very clear. God has established government in the earth and he established it in the earth for a very specific reason. And so if you're taking notes, here's your first point already. What's the primary purpose of government? The primary purpose of government is to protect its citizens, restrain evil, and promote law and order in society. Now that's not the only purpose of government. Governments have many functions. I'm talking about the primary purpose for government. It's to protect its citizens, restrain evil, and promote law and order in society. How many of you guys understand that we live in a fallen world? How many of you guys understand that every man, every woman has a sin nature inside of them? Okay, and so because we live in a fallen world, the threat of evil is a major issue. And so crimes like terrorism and murder, crimes like um, rape and abduction, child abuse, sex trafficking, drug trafficking, theft, fraud, I go on and on for hours. All these crimes, you gotta understand, yes, they are prevalent in society, but did you know that without government, that those crimes, that evil, would spread exponentially, like wildfire? And so granted, all governments have flaws, but when a even flawed government when a flawed government fulfills its primary purpose to protect its citizens and restrain evil and promote law and order in society, we ought to thank God for that government. And the reason why is because the only thing standing in the way from complete chaos and anarchy from destroying all of us is that God established government. So in our passage today, Paul's going to talk about what is the role of government, and then what is the response, what is the relationship that God's people ought to have with the government, and you need to know, in classic Pauline fashion, Paul's not going to mince any words. And so let's dig in. Chapter 13, verse 1. He says, let every soul be subject, please everybody say subject, to the governing authorities. Now that's enough right there to challenge us, so we're gonna stop right there, and here's your next point if you're taking notes. Christians must be subject to the government and thereby maintain a good testimony in society. Very clear. Christians must be subject to the government and thereby maintain a good testimony in society. 
And so as Christians, right, we're called to be the light of the world. We're called to be the salt of the earth. As Christians, we should be peaceful, law-abiding citizens. As Christians, we ought to be known as the best citizens in, the, in an, an entire nation, the best citizens in our own community. That means we should obey the laws of the land. That means that we should help our neighbor when our neighbor's in need. That means that we should always be honest in all of our dealings, and that means what we're gonna find out in verses six and seven, that we should pay our taxes. Christians should not be a problem to the government. Christians should be a blessing to the government. But sadly, some Christians have this suspicious anti-government attitude. Many, many Christians, and I, I'm using that term loosely, they have this very suspicious anti-government attitude. And they see threats from the government any, you know, everywhere. And so what these Christians will do often is many of them will move to faraway remote areas. They won't pay their taxes, right? They'll go and they'll buy tons of canned food and bottled water and fill their basements. They'll put lots of cash in their mattresses. And they're just waiting for an, an, the inevitable government takeover. And they, they withdraw from society. Why? They withdraw from society because they're suspicious of the government. And what they're doing is they're not fulfilling Christ's call, as I already said, to be the salt of the earth and to be light in the world. Listen, the only way that we can be salt in the earth and preserve what is good and right in society is if we actually are in the world and we're engaging our culture. By the way, this is why I love Trunk or Treat. I get emails every single year. Why are you celebrating Satan's holiday? Listen, I'm not gonna go hide in my house, right? Because I'm afraid of demonic powers. We just saying that Jesus can break every chain. And so, hey, why don't we get out and spread the light on the darkest day of the year? Why can't we, on the darkest day of the year, step up knowing that we have power and authority from the Holy Spirit over every other demon or devil or fallen angel and actually engage people with the gospel? And so, hey, people with suspicious anti-government um, um, leanings, and, and you always know these people because there's always a, a, a conspiracy theory, a theory. They're always putting all these Facebook posts about you know, anti-government sentiment. And many of them, as I already said, withdraw from society. And they're not being the salt of the earth. They're not being light in the world. The only way that we can be the light of the world is if, if we actually are in the world and we're shining our light to the dark world. And so, concerning the government, God does not want us to be subversive. He wants us to be submissive. He wants us to be the best citizens we can be because government was his idea. You say, government's God's idea? Yeah, uh, look at verse one again. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from who? And the authorities that exist are appointed by who? Okay, so here's your next point. Very clear from the scriptures, God, appoints governing authorities. Now I know people struggle with, with this. They struggle with Romans 13, one through seven. They struggle because many governments are corrupt. 
And so they'll say, well, why in the world should I submit to a corrupt government? Why should I do that? And, and my answer always to people like that is, do you know what government was in charge of the civilized world when Paul wrote these words here? The Roman Empire. Do you not think the Roman Empire was corrupt? Check out what John Phillips, one of my favorite commentators, says. The government of the Roman Empire had for many years been in the hands of a group of Caesars whose private lives were a public scandal. By the way, does that sound familiar? <laughs> and whose administration of justice was one long blot upon the history of Rome. And so the, the Roman government, when Paul penned these letters as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, was thoroughly corrupt. The Roman government was thoroughly corrupt for many reasons, I could go on for hours, I'll just name a few. One reason they were thoroughly corrupt is because they wholeheartedly embraced the inhumane, horrendous practice of slavery. It is estimated by scholars and historians that the Roman Empire in Paul's day was about 120 million people. Over half of the people that were subject to the, in, in the Roman Empire were slaves. Okay, what does that mean? That means that there were over 60 million slaves when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Rome. So they embraced slavery. Not only that, another reason they were corrupt is because they burdened the people with excessive taxation. You guys think that we're taxed a lot. Go back and study the history of the subjects of the Roman Empire, and you will see, by the way, that not all the tax dollars of the citizens of the Roman Empire were used in wise and wholesome ways. They embraced slavery. They burdened the people with excessive taxation. And then, here's something that'll really get you upset. They enforced idolatry. Once a year, every year, if you're a citizen of Rome, you had to take a pinch of incense to a bust or statue of Caesar, and you had to um, uh, uh, allow that, that incense to fall at the bust of Caesar, and you had to declare, Caesar is Lord. You had to worship the dictator of the Roman Empire, and if you didn't pinch the, 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 the incense at the bust of Caesar, and you didn't say Caesar is Lord, they could absolutely kill you. And of course, we know from history that many Christians were martyred for refusing to worship Caesar. And so was the Roman government corrupt? Yes, they embraced slavery. They burdened the people with excessive taxes. They enforced idolatry. And not only that, but do you know who was actually on the throne when Paul wrote this? I know somebody knows. What was his name? Who was the Caesar in charge? Nero, the tyrant Nero. And anybody who knows anything about history knows that in just a few years from the time Paul wrote this, Caesar Nero would go absolutely insane and he would viciously persecute the Christian community. The Roman Empire was thoroughly corrupt and yet God said, I have appointed them. Now, don't misunderstand. This does not mean that God in any way, shape, or form condones the evil practices of any corrupt government. God does not condone evil. God does not condone sin. In fact, hell right now is full of despots 
and um, rulers from past history because God absolutely holds every government who's corrupt, every government official accountable for their sin. And so here's the question. Why would God appoint a morally corrupt person to rule over a nation? I want you to think about this with me. Why in the world? Because the Bible says that God appoints all leaders, whether they're benevolent, right, or whether they're corrupt. The Bible clearly says God appoints the government, God appoints the government leaders. So why in the world would God ever appoint a corrupt leader to rule over a nation? Here's the answer. Because sometimes he does that to chastise that nation. Why in the world does God appoint a corrupt leader to rule over a nation? Here's why. Because sometimes God wants to judge that nation. If a nation turns their back on God, then God may give that nation a leader they deserve. And we've seen that throughout history. And so whether you're talking about a benevolent leader or whether you're talking about a corrupt leader, the Bible says God appoints all leaders sometimes to bless a nation and sometimes to judge a nation. He's in charge. He appoints. Now, Daniel confirmed this when he said this to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 4.17, Daniel said, The Most High is the sovereign, everybody please say sovereign, over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And so on November 8th, our nation will vote for president. But please understand this, the Lord will have the deciding vote. Right? There it is, right there on your screen. We're going to vote, but the Lord's going to have the deciding vote. And he's going to give America exactly what we deserve. I told you this message is going to be controversial. <laughs> and so if God has the final say, some people will say, if God has the final say, then why should we even bother voting? Well, listen, just because God is sovereign doesn't mean he doesn't want us to exercise our free will. And so I personally believe that since we are so blessed beyond measure by God to live in a free democratic nation, and again, I wish people would read history because if you read history, you would find out that we are in a very small minority to live in the country we live in, the democracy that we live in, to have the rights that we have, including the right to vote. And so my personal opinion is that because we've been blessed by God to live in a free democratic nation, we should absolutely exercise our right to vote, okay? But before we vote, we should do our homework. All the way down the, it's not just, we're not just talking about president. All the way down the ticket, we need to take, just take an hour and find out where every single candidate stands, and then what you do is you compare where they stand with what the Bible teaches, and then you vote according to the principles of God's word and according to your conscience. Now, let me say this. Do you guys really believe that this is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice? Okay. 
And that's why you're here, right? Why else would you believe be in a Bible-teaching evangelical church on a Sunday morning when you could be golfing or going to the beach? Because you love Jesus Christ, you actually believe this was breathed out by God, it's his love letter, it's been preserved for thousands of years, and it's, there's no ambiguity as to where God stands on many issues. And so we should take the Bible and we should compare what every single candidate stands and we should vote according to what the Bible teaches and according to our conscience. And I know, especially this year, and I've already heard it, well, pastor, when I look at the people who are running for president, it violates my conscience to vote for either one. What should I do? Here's the first thing we need to do as a Christian community. We need to tune out the media. Okay, listen to this. Because I'm burdened for many of you, because many of you, and by the way, isn't it sad how party politics have digressed to a cesspool of name calling and character assassinations? Instead of debating the important issues, all I ever hear when I put on the news is some person who's having to rebut some allegation about their past concerning their moral character, and 99% of it is all about name-calling and character assassinations instead of debating important issues. How sad. And it's all being propagated by a mass media that's totally secular. And so we, this is the problem is that many Christians have walked away from being filled with the Spirit and for two months, now they're involved in all the junk, and they're in the flesh, and they Facebook about it every hour of every day. And I'm telling you, tune out the junk and tune in to the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm asking you to do. Stop fighting people back and forth, back and forth. Don't lower yourself to a place where you're in the flesh instead of being in the Spirit. Rise above the fray. Spend time with the Lord. Listen, God's word gives us general principles very clearly about matters of life. But one of the reasons we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us, one of the reasons Jesus went up and the Holy Spirit came down was so that he could lead us in specific areas. You just gotta go before him. You gotta fast. You gotta pray. You gotta seek his face. And you gotta trust him to speak to you. Now, every election year, pastors are pressured by politically charged people to support their candidate. And I wanna tell you guys very clearly, and I may lose people, we may lose people for this, but I gotta tell you very clearly, I am not here to endorse any candidate, I'm here to preach the gospel. That's why I'm here. One of my top jobs as a pastor is to equip you with a biblical worldview. That's what I'm called to do. I don't know what anybody else is called to do, but what I'm called to do is to equip you with a biblical worldview. This is what wakes me up in the morning. This is what keeps fire in my bones. I want the people of Calvary PSL to have a biblical worldview. I want our future school. I want those little kids to grow up having a biblical worldview. I want people to actually know the word of God. I don't want their Christianity to base, be based on emotion. I don't want their Christianity to be based on how can I prosper materially in this life. I want their Christianity to base, be based on a love relationship with Jesus and a knowledge of his word. 
that's what, I, that's, that's, what, that's what burns inside of me. And because here's what I know. When you know the word of God, you will know the difference between righteous legislation and unrighteous legislation. If you know the word of God. If you know the word of God, you'll be able to vote according to your biblically informed conscience. When you know the word of God, put your seatbelts on, please. But when you know the word of God, you will know that God has a lot to say about the sanctity of life. Amen. The atrocity and the murder of abortion. If you know the word of God, you will know that God has a lot to say about the sin of racism, about the error of same-sex marriage. If you really know the word of God, you will know that God has a lot to say about the importance of keeping your gender identity. If you know the word of God, you will understand that God has a lot to say about the right of the government to exercise capital punishment. If you know the word of God, you will know why it's absolutely vital for all nations, especially America, to always support Israel. If you know the word of God, you will know there's a lot of other issues that God actually speaks about in these 66 books. And somebody cynically says, well, you sound like you're endorsing what a certain political party says. No, I'm endorsing what the word of God says. Right? And so, no, I am not going to endorse any candidate publicly, but I am absolutely going to equip you, if you'll listen, with a biblical worldview, and hopefully you will vote according to what God says and not anybody else. And so, again in verse 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist, again, benevolent people, corrupt people, they're appointed by God either to bless or curse a nation. We get what we deserve. Please pray for God's mercy, by the way. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. If you're taking notes, here's your next point. If we resist government, there will be consequences. Right? Crystal clear in the, in the Bible. If we resist government, there will be consequences. Paul says if we resist the government, then we will bring the judgment of God upon ourselves. I mean, does anybody want to be under the judgment of God? Okay, and so if you speed down 95, you can expect to pay a fine. If you rob a bank, you can expect to go to jail. If you murder somebody, you may even be executed. If you are willing to do the crime, you must be willing to do the time. Okay, and so we understand that that's clear, but I want to totally shift gears. I want to read verse 2 again. I want to ask you a question. Okay, so look at verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Okay, here's my question. Please don't answer out loud, okay? Just answer in your heart. That's the way you know how, and then we'll develop the point biblically. 
Here's the question. Is there ever a time when we should resist the government and engage in civil disobedience? Is there ever a time when we should disobey the government and engage in civil disobedience? And the answer is absolutely yes. And here's why, if you're taking notes. If obedience to the government means disobedience to God, then we must obey God rather than men. Okay, so you have to take the whole counsel of God when you come up with doctrine. And so here's the whole counsel of God. When Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, remember this? When he ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill all the firstborn, every male child who was born, Pharaoh said, throw them in the Nile River, kill them. Well, Exodus 1.17 says, and I quote, the Hebrew midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. Okay, so why in the world do the Hebrew midwives disobey the government? Because if obedience to the government means disobedience to God, then we must obey God rather than man. When Nebuchadnezzar ordered all the people in his realm to bow down to the golden image, Daniel chapter 3 verse 18 tells us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said directly to the king, looked him right in the eye, the most powerful man on the planet, and they said, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And thank God, a fourth man who appeared like the son of God stood with them in the fire and they were not killed. They were not even singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar, through a process of God's grace, went from the most arrogant, pious, nasty, world leader to a, a child of God. Nebuchadnezzar's in heaven right now. By the way, God can do that to the most egotistical, prideful person. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had to walk around on all fours for seven years and eat grass like an animal, but God humbled him. God can humble anybody. And so why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond that way? Why didn't they bow down like the, the king said and, and worship the golden image? Because if obedience to the government means disobedience to God, then we must obey God rather than man. When the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Israel, told Peter and the apostles, stop sharing Christ in the community, how did Peter and the apostle respond? Check it out. Here's what they said to the Sanhedrin. We ought to obey who? <laughs> rather than men. Okay, here's the whole counsel of God. So you gotta balance out scripture with scripture. We ought to obey God rather than men. And then if you read later on in verse 42 of chapter five, it says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Why did Peter and the apostles respond that way? Because if obedience to the government means disobedience to God, then we should obey God rather than man. In the 1930s and early 1940s, 
when a certain government, the German government, the Third Reich, enforced legislation that discriminated against Jewish people. When they rounded up millions of Jews and took them to the concentration camps. Thank God that in various countries in occupied Europe, thank God there were hundreds of Christians who hid Jews in their homes and in their barns and in their basements, and they helped, helped these Jews to escape from Hitler's government. You say, why did they respond that way? Because if obedience to the government means disobedience to God, we should obey God rather than man. By the way, some of the best stories you'll ever read, go back and read the stories of these Christians who hid the Jews, who risked their lives. Some of them were killed for stepping up and disobeying a government in order to help God's people. In the 1950s and 60s, when our own government enforced legislation that discriminated against black people, thank God for people like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks who disobeyed the government in order to overturn racist laws. Thank God for them. I love what Chuck Swindoll said, check this out. When the government policy begins to abuse or victimize those who are helpless, we must take, what's the word? There's, that's important. Peaceful action to oppose that persecution. A good example of this kind of action would be the campaign of civil disobedience conducted against the racist laws of the American South during the 1960s. The demonstrators, though often mistreated, never fired a shot. Thank God that Martin Luther King and those people who followed him engaged in peaceful protests, even though the racist government of the South was so vicious toward them. And by the way, thank God that King did not endorse looting or throwing rocks at the police. He did not endorse burning down buildings because Martin Luther King understood the destructive power of hate and the supreme power of love. He understood that. This is what he had to say. Nonviolence means avoiding not only external physical violence, but also internal violence of the soul, the spirit. You not only refuse to shoot a man, but you refuse to hate him. No looting, no throwing rocks, no burning down buildings, none of that, all that feeds into the destructive power of hate. No. No, we, all of us, white, black, every color, every race, every nationality should follow the example of that man. Because, listen, love conquers all. And I thank God that when a racist government of the South just wanted Martin Luther King and the people who followed him to stay home and shut up, I'm so glad that they disobeyed that government and they engaged in peaceful protests. Why? Because if obedience to the government means disobedience to God, we must obey God rather than man. Look at verse three now. He says, for rulers, in verse three, are not a terror to good works. 
but to evil. Okay, so he's talking about my first point about how the, the, the main purpose, the primary purpose of government is to protect its citizens, restrain evil. Okay, and so speaking about that government, rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil, crime. Okay, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Now, he's, of course, he's speaking generally speaking, okay? Verse 4, for he, this is the government official, he is God's minister. Did you ever know that government officials are in the ministry? For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he, that government official, that police officer, that governor, he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute what? Wrath on him who practices what? Evil. Here's your next point. The government has absolutely the right to punish evildoers. And somebody says, well, I thought, pastor, that Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Well, it's true that Jesus told individuals who are offended in a personal matter to turn the other cheek. But Jesus never told a government of a nation to turn the other cheek when its citizens are being attacked by evil. Are you guys with me this morning? Okay, when terrorists, Islamic radical terrorists, took down our Twin Towers, we didn't want the government to turn the other cheek. We wanted our government to hunt down every last jihadist involved and bring those people to justice. It's not a time to turn the other cheek. Jesus didn't tell governments to turn the other cheek. Jesus told governments, right, the Holy Spirit, right, we believe in one God, eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, okay, this is Jesus talking through the Holy Spirit to Paul. The government wields the sword. The government executes wrath on evildoers. And by the way, I heard a, a soldier call into a radio program that I listened to, and the soldier was afraid because in the line of duty overseas, he took lives as a military officer. And he was afraid because of the sixth commandment which in his translation, as he read it, thou shalt not kill. And I was so glad that certain pastors were able to say, listen, you're not a murderer, you're a hero. Because the sixth commandment doesn't say you shall not kill, the sixth commandment says you shall do no murder. You're in the line of duty, you're protecting your country. Thank God for men and women like you who are willing to stand on a wall somewhere and protect innocent citizens from evildoers. When somebody commits a murder or rapes somebody, we don't want our judicial system to turn the other cheek. We want criminals brought to justice, right? See, we gotta rightly divide the word of truth. When a pedophile ring abducts and sexually abuses children, we don't want the police to turn the other cheek. We want the police to hunt down every pervert involved and bring them to justice. Stop messing with our kids. Thank God for the police. Thank God for the FBI. Thank God that the government has the right to execute wrath on evildoers. Our kids' lives and welfare are at stake. 
We shouldn't be throwing rocks at the police. We should respect our police. We should pray for our police. We should go down, right? Listen, I so love our, our prayer ministry. You know what our prayer ministry is doing? Our, our prayer team is doing on Wednesday, they're going down at 7 a.m. on a certain day, and I forgot the date, to the police, the local police department. At 7 a.m., they're gonna give the police donuts, and they're gonna pray over our police in Port St. Lucie. And they welcome that. Thank God for that. You say, well, there's a few bad apples. There's a few bad apples in every career. So let's not punish the 99% for a few bad apples. Amen or oh me. If you send me emails, send them to lholly at calvarypsl.com <laughs> this week. Lee, Lee can handle all that this week. Look at verse 4 again. For he, the government official, is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the, what's the word? The sword in vain, okay? And so in Paul's day, rulers were given a sword. They wore the sword during public occasions, and that sword told everybody in the community that that government official had the power, the right, the authority to execute capital punishment. Again, controversial issue. You have a certain group over here that says it's never right to, to have capital punishment. You have another group that says um, you should execute capital punishment if you're the government. Okay, so... By the way, this group doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't even matter what this group says. What does God say? Okay, here's what God says. It's right, well, we'll put it up on the screen. Genesis 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Pretty clear, right? Somebody says, well, that's in the Old Testament. We're not under the law anymore. No, if you would read that it's Genesis 9-6, you would realize that that commandment from God came by God 500 years before the law of Moses ever existed. And so the right of governments to execute capital punishment was given by God before the law of Moses. It was reiterated by God during the age of the law of Moses, and it was reiterated again in our own New Testament. And so the right of government to execute capital punishment is throughout God's word, therefore it is valid for all Ages, and so as we seek to rightly divide the word of truth, we gotta make sure we don't confuse verses that apply to personal matters with verses that apply to governmental matters. Please look at verse five. He says, therefore, you must be subject to the government, not only because of wrath, right? You'll get in trouble if you break the law, but also for What's sake? Conscience sake. I mean, we're, we're believers. We have a conscience. And when we do what's wrong, there's that inner voice that says, don't do that. And now here are, for our last two verses, the most favorite verse of every Christian in the whole Bible, right here. <laughs> for because of this, you also pay taxes. For they, the government, are God's ministers, boy, isn't this true, attending continually to this very thing. Yes, they do. 
Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So here's your last point. The government has the right to receive our tax dollars. Right in the Bible. As believers, as Christians, we should gladly pay our taxes. Ladies and gentlemen, please, please stay with me all the way to the end here, okay? If you are not reporting all of your income to the government in order to evade taxes, you are not right with God. If you are not reporting all of your income to the government to evade taxes, you're doing work off the books, you're getting cash, you're not reporting it, you are in sin. Does your conscience even bother you? You see, we don't just obey, as Paul said, because of wrath, because we may get in trouble if we're caught. We're, we're Christians, we have a higher law. We, we do it because there's a Holy Spirit inside of us who's telling us to do right. And again, people will say, the government's corrupt, I don't like where my tax dollars go, so I'm not paying taxes anymore, okay. All right, the government has a name for you. Inmate. <laughs> they have some clothing for you too, it's an orange jumpsuit. Okay, if you wanna go down, the, and I, by the way, I know an evangelical leader, if I said his name, half of you would know his name, he's in, behind bars right now, why? He didn't pay his taxes. This is for everybody, nobody's exempt. You need to repent and get right with God. Today we're talking about breaking every chain, we're talking about how, man, if you're in sin and you're in bondage, God has the power to break those chains. Yes, he has the power to break that chain, but you and I gotta repent. We gotta turn from that sin, we gotta turn to him, and then he'll break every chain. And so why in the world would you forfeit the peace of the Holy Spirit to save a few bucks? Listen, walk in the Spirit. Enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit. There's no better place than to be full of God's love and God's presence and God's peace every single day because you know to the best of your ability, you're doing what's right, you're, you're being above board, you're being ethical. But if you're cutting corners and you're cheating and you're not paying your taxes in order to save a few bucks, you don't have that peace, you don't have that joy. And I ask you, is it worth it? And you say, well, I, I can never make it financially if I didn't get this cash outside of the books. Why don't you trust God? You don't think God's big enough to take care of you? Just start living your life according to the word of God. Listen, you can say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Praise the Lord, Jesus is Lord, 500,000 times. But why do you call him Lord, Lord, and not do the things that he says? Right? And so, the government of Rome, you think they used the tax dollars to fund things that were always wise and wholesome? They used tax dollars to build pagan temples. They used tax dollars to fund unjust wars. They used tax dollars to make officials wealthy beyond imagination. And yet Paul said, pay your taxes. Listen, this world's not our home. We're just passing through, right? 
And so how many of you guys really enjoy having a military to protect you from enemies, both foreign and domestic? You really like that? Okay. And so thank them. Thank the men and women in uniform and pay your taxes. How many of you guys are really glad that we have a, a police department to protect us from criminals? Right? Thank them and pay your taxes. How many of you guys are really glad we have a fire department in case our house catches on fire? Right? Thank them and pay your taxes. And so you don't have to clap for these. Do you like our paved roads and highways? By the way, if you've ever been to Haiti, you would be clapping. Do you like the option of public education? Do you like to visit our national parks? Do you like going to the library? You can go on and on and on. Taxes, yes, sometimes are used to fund unwholesome, even sinful things. But, the, but most of the time, so far, that may change, but most of the time, taxes are used to fund things that are necessary for our peace and our order and our enjoyment. What is the bottom line? The bottom line is that God has appointed government and we should have submitted souls. Okay, so you can either sit there like this and be upset, or you can say, God, you are my Lord, this is your word, and I submit. And so let's pray. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.